Greetings again, everyone. Uh, welcome to Rick Bonfin Ministries. I hope you're having a good day. Hope you have a great weekend coming up. Um, last time we finished up the parable of the sower, and, and uh, we talked about Mark chapter 5, Jairus, the woman with the issue of blood, the madman of Gadara. Today, uh, we're going to move into um, Mark chapter 6. This is a this is an interesting chapter. There's a lot of good things. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening here. So let's go right into to Mark chapter six, and I'm going to read from verse one to verse five. Okay. Now, after the girl was raised from the dead, okay, after Jairus's daughter was raised from the dead. It said he strictly ordered them to let no one know of it and directed them to give her something to eat. Well, it's interesting, and this is something I don't have an answer for, was why did Jesus keep telling everybody, don't let anybody know about it? And I'm asking myself, if there were five or six of us around and Jesus raised this guy from the dead, how, could I, how, would, I, how would I not be able to tell somebody? How could this guy get up and he goes back to work, and they said, well, we thought you died last week. No, not really. I, I was just asleep. So, you know, Jesus says some things here that, that we really need to think through. And I, I'm just a teacher. I don't have an answer to it, but may, maybe we'll get some more insight into it. So he left there, and he went away from there, chapter 6, verse 1, and he came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. Now, this... When he teaches in the synagogue, what is it that he teaches? He teaches the Word. He always teaches in the synagogue on the Sabbath. So there's always Pharisees there, and he's always in a position where he can aggravate everybody there. That's probably not his goal, but maybe he knows that's going to happen. A lot of these people need to be aggravated. But anyway, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get this? What is this wisdom that is given to him? That even miracles are done by his hand. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters with us? It says they took offense at him. Now, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and among his own relatives. And in his own house, he could not do any miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he was amazed because of their unbelief. Now, you go back up here and you find out that the people, this statement, is this not the carpenter, of, of, uh, the son of the carpenter, son of Mary, and the brother of James and so forth. Oh, what he's saying is, isn't this the little kid that was running around our neighborhood, you know? Uh, he's a carpenter's son. Why does he? Where does he get all of this? You know, this is not a term of endearment. They're, they, they, uh, uh, I don't know why the miracles would offend somebody, but I don't know that because I'm not there and I've not experienced that. And, but listen to what he said. He said in verse 5, he could not do any miracles. By the way, I'm reading from the modern English version. I didn't say that up front. Um, so it may read a little different from yours. But anyway, verse 5, he said he could not do any miracles there except that he laid hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he was amazed because of their unbelief. 
Now, go back up and said they took offense at him. That word is the Greek word in the Strong's Concordance 4624, and it's the word scandalizo. It's a scandal. It's where we get it from. Uh, these people are mad at him, and they, they, they're, they're offended. Uh, and I've heard other people say the same thing. I've seen people leave church because they were offended at what somebody said. They were offended that somebody said something that made them feel like, well, you're telling me my faith isn't as good as your faith? No, that's not what I said. I said, this is what the Scriptures say. Well, I, I don't believe that. I think, and then, then you hear what blah, 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 that what they think. So they get offended because the word offenses them. Is offenses them. I don't think I can say that. The word offended them. Okay? Now, you go back down to verse 6. He was amazed because of them. He didn't say he would not heal anyone. He didn't say it. He said he could not. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man, the man just like you and I or the woman just like us walking on the face of the earth in tune with the Holy Spirit, could not heal anyone because of their unbelief and their faith. This is important. Don't let this slide by, folks. Your faith and your unbelief have a lot to do with your healing. Don't forget that. Now, the word unbelief is the Greek word in Strong's Concordance, number 570. And it says, want of trust in God's promises. That's what that word means. And let me read it with that. And, and he was amazed because of their lack of trust in what God promises. Huh. I don't, again, I don't want to be that way. Sometimes these lessons are hard to learn, and there's some things that you may have to learn that you don't like to hear. I know there's been that way for me many times. Lord's spoken things to me and shown me things to the Word, and my response has not been stellar. Let's just say that. Now, let's go on down to, to uh, the next verse. Actually, verse 7 is part of verse 6 here. The mission of the twelve, and he went to the surrounding villages teaching. He called to him the twelve. So these are the, these are the twelve apostles. Okay, And he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Okay? He commanded them to take nothing with them for their journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no money in their purse, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, remain there until you depart from that place, and whoever you do will not receive you or hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that city. And it says, They went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed folks with oil and many who were sick and healed them. Now, there's some significant points in here and I want to, I want to bring this up because we're, it's going to kind of shoot off in a little different direction here for a second. Verse 13 says, They cast out many demons and they healed them. And, and many who were, they anointed with oil and many who were sick and healed them. It doesn't say they healed everybody. It says the ones they anointed with oil, many who were sick and he healed them. Okay? So they didn't heal, they, did, they didn't heal everyone. They healed many. 
Now, why is that? Well, you, you remember the story where Peter and, and James, or Peter and John, came up in, in Acts chapter 3 and they came across this guy. And uh, he begged alms off of them. And they looked at him and said, Do you want to get healed? And he says, I don't have any money, but I'm going to give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Well, you know, Jesus has been down that road many a time. And we only have record of him talking to one guy. And there's probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people in those porticos trying to get into that pool. And they only healed one. That's because that's what the Holy Spirit told them to do. So I, we can assume that when these guys are going around and they're praying stuff, that the Holy Spirit's guiding them which wants to pray for and which wants to heal. Okay? Now, I do want to go back, though, and um, let's see here. I do want to go back here to this verse chapter in verse 11. Last part of that verse, he says, Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that city. Up there he says, Whoever will not receive you or hear you. In essence, who's rejecting the Holy Spirit? Now you'll find out later on he's talking about that he'll talk about um, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, everything will be forgiven people but the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, in this case, he's talking about people that have rejected the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to what he goes on to say here. Truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day in the judgment than for that city. Now, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. And I'm going to show you something. This is significant, folks. Matthew 11, 23. All right. Jesus is talking to these guys, and listen to what he says in verse 23. And you, Capernaum, now he's talking about his home city, because his house was in Capernaum. We saw that in, in Mark chapter 2. And you, Capernaum, who is exalted toward heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which had been done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Now, there's a lot of things going on here, but the one thing I want you to look at, people say that Jesus didn't, you know, homosexuality, gay lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, lesbian, uh, I don't know, LGQBT, whatever it is, I don't, I'm not sure of the acronym, but you know what I'm talking about. It's a difficult subject. And churches have been miserable in dealing with it. And um, the media, the uh, social media, has just exploited this to no end. And the church has fumbled the ball, and we're, you know, we let it go. But what Jesus is saying here, if the miracles that had been done in Capernaum, what did he do in Capernaum? Healed people, raised people from the dead, cast out demons. What he's saying is, if that type of activity had happened in Sodom, they would have repented. So, today's environment that we find ourselves in, if we would be doing these kinds of things that cause people from hundreds of miles away, Tyre, Sidon, um, go down here from Judah, uh, and go over here from the Decapolis, Idumea, uh, 
Hundreds of miles people are traveling to get to where Jesus is because they heard of the things that he was doing. If those types of things were happening today, we wouldn't be having an issue. And you don't hear Jesus condemning any of those guys. He's simply saying, if you'd be doing what this is, what I've been doing, Sodom would have been repented. So if we do that today, instead of jumping on people and saying, well, you know, the Scriptures say this and that. If they're not born again, they're not held to our standards. Okay? But I'm just telling you, this is something that we want to get out of this study of the book of Mark, that we need to be doing the things that Jesus did. We need to find out how to do them, and then we need to go do them. Because if we're not doing that, then we're just going to have churches of the 75%. That's what I call them, is the ones that hear the Word, they don't do anything with it. I want to be one of the 25%. Just remember that. And I know the people at Rick Bonfim Ministries, they're 25 percenters. There's no doubt about it. I know them and I've known them for years. They're people that love God and want to do. And Rick Bonfim has led many crusades and things where these things happen constantly. So don't, except when he gets into an area where they don't believe Jesus. Well, they don't, their unbelief, they don't have any trust in the promises of God. Anyway, let's go on. Okay, so they, the twelve go out and they do that. They get out there and they, let me get back to my notes here. Um, then he talks about, Mark talks about the death of John the Baptist. It's an interesting story here, and, and and I'm only going to read a few. There's a lot of scriptures in here. I don't want to read the whole story, but you know the story. Herod Antipas uh, went after his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, and he, Herod Antipas divorced the wife uh, from the king of Nadumea, uh, um south south of, the, of their country. I can't... I, um, the name says it begins with an N anyway. Uh, he divorced his daughter, which was originally a political uh, marriage. So I'll marry you so to protect himself from uh, Archelaus and other people. Now, at this point, Herodia, he's dumped Philip. She's dumped Philip. She's back here with Herod Antipas. Okay. Now, John speaks the truth to power. This is the problem that Jesus got into. This is the problem that we're going to get into under the current environment, political environment that we're in this country. You start speaking the truth to power, they're not going to like it. They didn't like it here. They didn't like it in Rome. They didn't like it anywhere. This is just something they don't like. Now, at this point, John, it, he thinks John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And because there's miracles going on, and he said, well, I've heard this, and blah, 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 like this. Now, I want you to go up, though, and look at verse 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, but heard him gladly. This is what the Word of God will do. This is what Satan cannot allow. When the sower sows the Word, he has to come and steal the Word. Okay? What are his weapons? Affliction, persecution, the deceitfulness of riches, lust, pressure on the five physical senses, and worry and anxiety. So, what does Satan do to pry this away from 
to pry John's possible influence away from him? Well, first of all, he gets Herodias involved. Now, there's sex involved in that. There's, there's all kinds of lust involved in that. Herodias comes up with her daughter. Uh, you know, think about this. Why would a mother allow her daughter to do a, basically probably a pornographic dance in front of the king and other people? Not, you know, she's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. That's the best way I can put it. But they had this dinner, and he really liked what he said. He got drunk, and he shot off his mouth. Like my dad always said, a drunk man's words are a sober man's thoughts. He said, I like this. Well, I'll give you anything you want, up to half the kingdom. And so she didn't know what to do. She goes back to her mom. She went, Her mom, inspired by satanic uh, influence, thoughts, So I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. So, she goes and tells Herod he's upset, but because he's a man of his drunk word, doesn't want to look bad in front of anybody, he goes and has John beheaded, and he brings the, the, uh, the head of John the Baptist to, to Rhodes. And by the way, this is just a trivia question. Did you know that the first hearse in the Bible was a dodge? Yep, it's true. If you go read the King James, it says that they brought his head in a charger. Just thought I'd tell you that. No charge. That's extra. Now, we go on from there. The king was extremely sorrowful. Now he, he beheaded John. Now, the interesting thing about John is he was Jesus' cousin. And if you go back, he was filled from the Holy Spirit inside his mother's womb. Okay? And... As he came out, they threw him in jail. And while he was in jail, he, sent, he, he made these, per, these announcements. The thing about John is he knew who he was, he knew what he was called to do, and he went and did it. If you go to John chapter 1, I think it starts at verse 19, the Pharisees come up to John because they're, they're really offended by him. They, don't, they want to know, why are you doing this? Are you... Elijah, no, I'm not. Are you the Christ? No, I'm not. They ask him all these questions. And he very clearly says, no, I'm not Elijah. No, I'm not this. No, I'm not that. But, who are you then? Well, he says, I'm the voice of one called in the wilderness for that. And then he goes ahead and explains about what he's called to do and who Jesus is. That he's called to make the way for the Messiah and he must get greater and I must get smaller. Now, he knew who he was because he spent he, the Holy Spirit was with him. Okay, and Jesus knew who he was. So John gets thrown into prison, and he sends his disciples to Jesus and said, "Are you the one that's coming, or do we wait for somebody else?" And why would he say that after all these other great pronouncements that he made? It's because he's a human, and things have not worked out like he thought they that they should. He's in jail for doing the right thing, and he doesn't think, he thinks Jesus ought to help spring him from jail. That's what I think. I don't know that, but if you think about it for a minute, it makes perfectly sense for a guy filled with the Holy Spirit that knows who he is and calls out why he's here, what he does, and makes such a great pronouncement. Then when things go south on him, he gets in jail and he starts talking, well, you know, maybe this didn't work out like I thought. It was a lot like the, our recent election. A lot of people thought this was going to happen and that was going to happen. None of it happened like they said it was going to. So a lot of people going to God say, "What well, did did you know? What's going on? Is this 
Is this right or wrong or, or what? So you see the, hum, the humanity in John for that question. And Jesus himself, later on, and, and, and we won't get that here, but later on he goes out and he says, what did you guys come out to see? A reed swinging in the wind and so forth? And you'll find out, and, and I'll just I'll give you this if you're interested in this, a YouTube video by John Ortberg. If you don't know who John Ortberg is, he's one of the best teachers in America. He did a video, it's 39 minutes long, called Go Tell That Fox. If you want to understand Jesus' connection to the political environment of his day, go read, go listen to Go Tell That Fox by John Ortberg. It's one of the greatest videos on YouTube. Uh, which makes me wonder how long they'll keep it up there. But anyway, you should go get it. Go tell that fox. Now, after all of this, go down to feeding the 5,000 in verse 30. Chapter 6, verse 30. Now, Jesus is tired. says, let's go by a remote place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and he had no leisure time even to eat. That's the price of success that he was having. So they went to a remote place, privately by boat. Now listen to this, in verse 31, 33. But the people saw him departing, and they knew of him, and they ran there on foot. It doesn't say they walked. It doesn't say they took a donkey. It said they ran there on foot out of every city. This, man, this thing's like wildfire. It's going everywhere. They arrived first. They beat him there. They came together. Now Jesus just had heard this horrible story about his cousin being killed. The only person that knew anything about his ministry. And when Jesus came out and saw many people, he was moved with compassion on them. And he began to teach them many things. Well, what was he teaching them? He's teaching them the Word of God. Okay? He's teaching them faith. Now, I love this next part coming up. When the day was now getting late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. And now time is passing. Send them away to the surrounding country and villages to buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Now this is one of the stories that's in all four Gospels, and in John's Gospel, I like what it says. And, and Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And John adds the thought, because Jesus knew what he was going to do. He said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. He's asking the disciples to do something that's impossible for them to do. Don't let anyone ever tell you God won't ask you to do something that's out of your wheelhouse. Oh, yes, he will. He'll do it all the time. And, and, and um, so he asked these guys, because Jesus said, I knew what I was going to do. Well, you guys give them something to eat. Now, this is you give them something to eat. So they're thinking out of their own resources. And I love this. They're asking, they said, uh, shall we have 200 denarii worth of bread? That's two-thirds of a year's wages. If the average wage, you know, that's a lot of money. And it must have had it in their treasury or they wouldn't have thought, we can go take this and go, you want us to take that money and go buy stuff? And when I thought of that, I thought, how easy was it for Judas to steal money? He was the treasurer because they got a lot of money in there. Anyway, shall we go forth? And he said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they found five, five loaves and two fish. But what is that so among so many? That's what I think Peter said. One of the guys said that in one of the one of the versions. He said to them, uh, and then he commanded them to make everyone sit down by companies on the green grass. 
Now, the Amplified says that. Says they really, I think the disciples were back lining everybody up, making sure they're right. No, no, you get back this way. Because they they're trying to buy time. They're going to make this sit them in, in order as much as they can. So they sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. And when he'd taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided the two fish among them all. They all ate were filled, and they took up twelve baskets of fragments of fish And after it was all over. Now, go back up. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Could they do that? Well, not if they, not if they had to go buy the food. They didn't have the resources to do that. Jesus did, and look what He did. He, he made His Word come true. He broke the loaves and gave them to His disciples to set before them. The disciples did feed them. But it wasn't because they went and bought the food. It was because Jesus did a miracle. Again, this is like everything else Jesus does. There's no way you can figure what it is He's getting ready to do. He just can't. You may think of three ways to solve a problem. He may know a million. And if you restrict yourself to the three things you know, uh, that's a pretty sad situation. Just let him do it. Okay, now, at the end of chapter 6, we find out in verse uh, 53, they crossed over and came to the land of Gennesaret. All these people had been astonished, astonished at the food and thing. They cross over to the land of Gennesaret and, and anchored on the shore. And when they come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. And they ran again throughout the sounding region and began to carry the sick on beds to wherever he was. Do you see that happening today? Do you see this kind of thing happening today? Or do we have our confidence in other things? Okay. Um, and they laid the sick in marketplaces and pleaded with him that they might touch even the fringe of his garden. As many as touched him were healed. Now, I want you to think about that. These people ran there. This is what happened in Mark chapter 2. Uh, Jesus' house is full of Pharisees. They're talking. These four guys come up. they got a friend. They want to get him healed. Can't get in. So they crawl up on top of Jesus' house, chop a hole, and drop somebody down through it. Now, do you see faith like that anywhere? I'm just asking. Um, do I exercise faith like that? Not like that. I have it. I want to. I'm pursuing it. That's why I'm reading and teaching. Um, the Lord's called me to teach. That's what I do. But in this situation, I don't have all the answers, but I'm looking for them just like you do. So, I want to know how do we do that. I want our church. We're, we're praying for our church. I want our church to be this kind of a place that says, Oh my gosh! Grandma's sick. Let's take her down to Living Hope. Let's everybody go down to Living Hope. That's where the action is. People are getting healed. Jesus is doing many things down there. So let's get down there and, and take them to God. He'll heal them. That's what's missing in the girl. That's what's missing in the millennials. They don't know that. We didn't teach them. Deuteronomy 6 says, teach your children all these things so that they'll remember them. We didn't do that. We, what do we teach them? We teach them Marxism. and we they're, We're letting them teach all these stupid things. I just read today 
where they're getting rid of Dr. six Dr. Seuss books because they said they're racist. I said, give me a break. Society has gone off the deep end, folks. And our responsibility is not to fight Dr. Seuss and not get in a war over Dr. Seuss. Our, our opportunity is to become the kind of church, the kind of people that trust God, not like these guys over here in 6 that said they had a want of trust in God's promises. That's not what we want to be. We want to believe the kind of person that chops a hole in the roof and drops Fred down through the roof. Or Susie. Whoever's on the thing. So, uh, let's move on. The next time we get together, we'll dig into Cha- to John. Mark chapter 7. And we'll go from there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and pray. And thank you for listening. And, and I, I hope this has been a blessing to you. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father. And I'm asking you, Lord, for a special anointing on all of us that we might be the kind of church and the kind of people that people bring people to because they see God working in action. They see things happening that aren't happening anywhere else. I don't want to be a dead church. We want to be a live church. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. See everybody next time. Boundless love and mercy, He gave His only.